What's up, beautiful people? How you doing? It's John Hendricks here with another episode of the Threshing Floor Podcast. On this week's episode, we're going to be welcoming old friend. It's been a while since we've had him on, but we're going to be welcoming Brad back to the podcast to talk about his experience with the Lackey Grand Prix coming in second, um, just falling short there at the end in a matchup with Josh, the defending type one champ from Nationals this past year. Um, so we'll talk about that experience, and then we'll also talk about some of the excitement that we have from having GOC cards in hand. We've got them in hand, kind of give our initial reaction to the physical cards, how they turned out, and some of the abilities now that we know what they are. So we'll talk about that, and I'll go ahead and preface this. We had no outline. We were just a couple of buddies talking. So this might be a ramble fest, but hopefully you enjoy it. So glad you're here. Thanks for listening. All right, thank you for joining on another episode of The Threshing Floor. John Hendricks here, and we have our partner in crime back. Um, it's been a few few weeks. I think right after Christmas was the last time you were on. What's up, Brad? What up? Glad to be back, as always. And for those of you that did not see the finish for the Lackey Grand Prix, Brad is fresh off of getting second place in the Lackey Grand Prix. Um he went up against Josh, who is the reigning Type One champ from Nationals this past year, and it was an entertaining game. But but Josh got the best of him. How did you How did you enjoy the Lackey Grand Prix, Brad? Um, I actually really enjoyed the Lackey Grand Prix. Um, it's it's cool that you can always look forward to playing one game every week and against somebody new. So. I had um, <clears throat> some lucky games, I'll say, uh, probably some games I should have lost, but ended up where I was. But uh, all in all, it was pretty fun, and um, I'm glad everybody that you know decided to play did. And um, I hope anybody that maybe didn't have the the uh, you know finishes that they wanted to will come back and uh, play again. You know, so. It's easy to get a, a messed up hand or a messed up game on Lackey, so. Yeah, and you can just guarantee that if you get a Mayus Road and you shuffle it to grab a star card, it's going to be one of the next cards you draw. Lackey, yeah. Lackey is – I have a love-hate relationship with Lackey. I think most people do. If you play Delivered, you're getting an open eight. Yes. <laughs> so. Everyone is going to discard your top card in the opening eight. But Jay did say that he is working on refining some of the rules and um, guidelines for the Lackey Grand Prix, and he plans on posting a sign-up list for the next run of it by Saturday. So that's that's his deadline he gave himself. I'm not putting him on a deadline, but he did say he's working on getting another round of it going. So make sure you sign up because – Playing against people that you don't normally play allows you to broaden your um, deck building, I guess, so that you are thinking about other deck styles and other player styles versus just what you always play. And it's also the reason that some of us really stink it up in the Lackey Grand Prix, like myself. Although, I didn't do that bad, I don't think. I had a somewhat competitive game against Joe Schaefer and... Then I won a game against um, I know a guy, and I had a bye week. And then that first week, 
I lost to Josh five to one. So apart from that first week where I didn't feel like I was competitive because I didn't didn't show well, I also didn't draw an evil character, which I think a couple of other people mentioned that that was an issue with Lackey that I don't think really comes up when you're running, you know, nine, ten evil characters in your deck. But leave it to Lackey for that to be an issue. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just to go off of that, I think I played two people in the first four rounds that I'd never played before. So those are people I got to meet, you know, talking over the Discord and also, you know, just playing for the first time. So had no idea what they were going to play against me. That's always, you know, interesting. Like when you play against somebody, you kind of know what they're going to play uh, or have an idea of their play style. But when you've never played somebody before, it's really cool. Yeah, I'll say all three of my games were against people that I knew um, two of the three, but I've never played against them. So all three of the people that I played were people that we were engaging in our first ever game against each other. So it was definitely cool to branch out and do that. And I'm looking forward to the next run to kind of do that again and maybe match it with some new people again and hopefully have a little bit better showing with a more optimized deck now that we've seen kind of what not necessarily the meta overall is because things are constantly going to be changing and fluid with GOC coming out, but kind of to know what people are playing currently to where you can kind of base that. It gives you a little bit more knowledge for the next run so that you can tweak your deck and whatnot. Yeah. Um, did you change your deck up at all, or did you play the same one each week? Um, the first week I played Grace Like a Flood, the version that I had posted on um, the boards, and I want to say that I cut it down to 50 or 51, maybe 52, because I couldn't couldn't get quite 250. And then I had that bad showing, and I completely scrapped that thing, and... The next time I played, I played with a Prophets deck. And then the last round against Joe, I played. What did I play? Um, oh, I played a version of Josh's deck that was based off of the list that he posted early on when he created that Mary Protect uh, Zerubbabel type thing. And it was not... I wasn't throwing in the towel or anything, but I just wanted to test how that deck did, how it functioned, um, things of that nature. So I was mostly just testing things. I wasn't worried about raw wins and losses after the first week. It was more so using it as a you know a chance to test some things out. So I kind of bounced around. I, I played a different deck each each game. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things that are so unique about the Grand Prix, and probably one of the things that's such a draw. It's not only can you play a different deck, you can you know, change certain things in your deck from week to week when you see there's a weakness or you see like, man, I wish I would have had this. Or you see somebody play a, a card or a combo that you hadn't seen before and you, you may want to incorporate that too. It's it's kind of cool. Yeah, so are you are you of the um, – are you attempting to keep your deck knowledge completely concealed? What do you mean? Well, I haven't – I don't think you've shared a list on the boards uh, of your deck at any point. And it's the same deck you've kind of been playing for the last year and a half now. <laughs> Not to call you out because it works fantastic. Um, but I was just wondering, now that it's been recorded a couple of times, are you? is there, is there an intentional uh, effort to keep that concealed as best you can? Or for people that don't know what you were playing, are you willing to share what you were playing and kind of talk about your deck? 
um, like anytime, for instance, like Jaden asks to record or something, I'm like, yeah, let's let's do it. I, I I really have nothing to hide or anything, or not trying to keep it secret or anything like that. Um, I don't think a lot of people have my my same play style, so I just haven't thought that maybe it was interesting enough <laughs> to post. Um, because, I, and I was actually thinking about this on the way over here, uh, like what kind of player I am, and uh, you know what I kind of go for, and I and um, I would say that I'm not as much a combo player because I, I can't come like I can't find combos like a lot of people can necessarily, um, and a lot of people gear their deck towards those things, you know, to really wreck your opponent. I'm more of a how can I make this the most efficient, you know. Is, is what I go to, and, and so I just, like, constantly, I'll change out one or two cards, see how those work, then come back. Okay, I hated how that played out. What's better? Is there anything that can just add a little more consistency or a little more efficiency, make sure I have exactly what I need uh, when I need it? And uh, also, you know, can I keep the opponent from you know, having getting what they need when they need it? It's kind of what I go for. And so, yeah, I mean, that's that's what the whole deck is built around is, is just having, you know, being able to get what I need when I need it and, um, and getting it out there. No matter what kind of top eight I get pretty much, unless it's like all forts and doms, which is not going to happen pretty much, but you know, I guess it could, but, um, it could with lackey. So, so what's the, for, for people that didn't see any of, of your games or haven't seen it recorded, what, what's the, the basic premise of your deck? Because clearly I know because you've been bashing my head in with it for <laughs> the uh, last year and a half. I think I think you've won more games than you've lost with it for sure. Yeah, I don't know about the bashing part. But um, so I pretty much have uh, – and I think Josh said this. He posted his deck, and I think he, he either said this um, after the Grand Prix or he wrote it out. I can't remember. But he said, I have every um, rescue pl- planned out, pre-planned out basically. Like this is what I'm going to do. This is the uh, what I'm going to do to get my first soul, second soul, third soul. Or sometimes it may switch to order, but this is what I'm going to do to get them. And essentially, that I do the exact same thing. Um, I know that I'm pretty much going to come in and try to um, overpower them first turn with low numbers and good enhancements. Um, and then second turn and third turn are, is switched, kind of. It can be switched. I'm either going to come in and, and beat them with dominance or I'm going to beat them with an impartial judgment to, to get rid of the evil cards in their hand. And throughout the game, I'm constantly throwing down meek heroes so I can have, you know, as Jay mentioned on their podcast, you know, Thoughts from Portland, if you haven't checked it out, go check it out. Um, but they talked about making sure you have at least like five or six meek characters down to make sure you get rid of everything so they can't, uh, you know, chronicles you or woes your um, impartial judgment. Um, but other than um, – aside from that, the entire time um, I try to shut down your territory and make sure my territory is active. And the opposite kind of happened to me whenever I did play Josh. <laughs> he got all these counters down. And so my music leader didn't work. My Obed didn't work. My Jesse didn't work. I couldn't get the cards I needed when I needed them, you know. Um, but – uh, that's essentially kind of the strategy there. And the same thing on defense. Um, I, I didn't play – I played Syrians uh, in the championship rounds. Uh, but m- most of the time you'll see me playing Philistines because they can get what they need out of reserve. And I like the fact that they can equip and, 
and exchange and pull people from out of the deck and all that stuff. So, And you said that you switched it up for the championship rounds. Do you think you would have had a better outing with Philistines against Josh? Um, hopefully. Um, it's his deck in particular, probably yes. Um, I don't know that. Um, I don't know that the the Philistines are outright like better than Syrians per se. Um, they're both good in their own aspects. The Philistines can really be shut down if they're being prevented before battle, which is a problem. Uh, but what they're really good at is having the right uh, stuff in reserve to be able to grab. You know, whether it's a negate or a discard or, you know, getting rid of certain things that they need. And then, of course, they have, like, Goliath and um, things like that that really give people trouble, especially if they have – a lot of people are playing Storehouse again. I've noticed that. Um, I don't know if you notice that in your games, but between Storehouse and Ark of Salvation is coming back as well. So Goliath has gotten a lot better um, to get, like, almost an auto block for a lot of people. So Yeah, I think um – I noticed it on the new Herod's Temple from Phase 1. It's another one of those setups to where Goliath is going to be pretty strong because it protects gospel heroes in territory from harm. So when he withdraws all and allows you to present a new one, you can't present from territory because that would be considered harm because it's coming off of an evil ability. So Brad Brad mentioned Music Leader. I, I will tell you that after playing against him, uh, everyone in the Southeast from Jay, Jeremy, myself, um, if you've played uh, any any amount of games with our small play group, Brad is going to abuse David, Heart After God, and Music Leader. And when we talk about efficiency, it's like using turn one, no doubt, somehow you're going to get Temple Dedication. And you're going to play Temple Dedication. I forgot about that. Yeah, you're going to play Temple Dedication you're going to go and get your Solomon's Temple for your extra art uh, um, activation, a location for you to activate another art artifact, a temple artifact. And then you're protecting your music musicians from evil cards or your opponent's cards that turn. So you play that to set up your territory, and then you go into battle with protection from that. So that's the part of efficiency. So you're maximizing all of that. And... It's really tough to get around, and then it's kind of like you got beat by someone that was doing the same thing you were doing, layering that protection and trying to control territories. And I really think that for the most part right now, that's kind of what the game is before we start seeing how uh, GOC changes things is who's able to win the territory battle. Like who's going to have their negate neutrals down first? Who's going to get that distress down that's going to negate the opponent's characters first in the opening eight or something honestly has made me think about running hunter again so that you can go get the old testament soul obviously all of that changes with goc coming out with awesome new souls but like currently the way it is now uh before we get into goc it's really important to try to have that distressed established before your opponent can play one of those negate neutrals to um lock you down and then play their jesse because Everybody that's playing a negate neutral, no matter what what you're playing, you're throwing Jesse in there just because you can use Virgin Birth. And then if you can use those brigades, you can grab Jesse from your reserve for turn two to add to your uh, territory lockdown. So it's really a balance game. It's like two different games. You're balancing 
what you're doing in your battle phase, which is, you know, kind of pushing you towards your win condition or letting your opponent get the advantage there. But simultaneously, you're trying to win that territory war. So it's it's really two games in one because who whoever is winning the territory is usually winning the battle for the most part past turn one because if you've locked your opponent down, then they're starving for resources while you've gained some resources. So by that second battle, you kind of know who's in control. So Especially if you get like Golden Calf is still so good. You know, and a lot of people are playing Confusion of Mind too, um, which is is equally as good. But um, to restrict them from playing enhancements and negate their territory class characters, I mean, that's if you get that down early and uh, the opponent hasn't drawn anything to get around it. I mean, even if they have their negate neutrals down, they can't play it, you know, because you're negating them, and it's it's a huge advantage for sure. Yeah, and, and Babel is also one of those that's that's coming back. So you end up with. Uh, so three biggest counters right now, I think, are the the fact that you want to restrict the territory class enhancements that allow them to get to their territory class characters. With Golden Calf, you've got Confusion of Mind because it's CBN, makes them discard things from their hand resources, or you're negating their heroes, CBN. And then you're also seeing Babel kind of on an uptick because it can come in as a fortress and negate their um, negate neutral territory class heroes which i mean right now if you're not playing one of those in your deck you're you're kind of behind the eight ball already even if the brigades don't match you got to find a way to fit one of those guys into your deck i think in the way that the game currently is so all all things considered i think the lackey grand prix was a success and i i enjoyed it even though i didn't do much winning in it but i'm looking forward to the next one and i think that there's value even in losing. There's always value, um, so it's not just not wanting to play because you're you don't think you're going to be competitive. You can gain information that's going to make you a better deck builder. It's going to allow you to optimize decks a little bit better. So even if you don't think you're going to be competitive, there's something to be gained from playing games against people you don't normally play, especially when those people are really good players. Like I would consider Joe a really good player and Josh a really good player. I mean. Joe didn't play at Nationals this past year because he was judging. But Josh won type one. So getting to play those two guys in my four rounds was fantastic. And you get to kind of see where your skills line up, and you get to identify areas where you need to be better. And I think, I mean, I've identified some of the areas. I know that personally I'm good with coming up with deck ideas and strong themes and um, – card interactions that I want to exploit in a deck. But then the optimizing that comes from playing that deck over and over and tweaking things, I'm not so good at that. And the only way to get better at that is to play games. So make sure you sign up for the next Lackey Grand Prix and everyone can get something out of it. And it's more fun for the community when more people participate. So hopefully we get a ton of participation on that. So we'll um, roll over here to the main point tonight after our, our big discourse spiel there, we had been opening every episode talking about Gospel of Christ and recent spoilers that had come out. That is no longer the case because we are not worried about spoilers anymore currently. Although, as soon as Phase 2 spoilers start coming out, um, you know we'll, we'll get back on that and start reviewing those. But as of now, 
I'm going to tell you guys that I have enjoyed this past week because I have opened three boxes of phase one. And I'm not saying this just to hype it up, but these cards look fantastic. I really do like the way that this set looks now that we've got the cards in our hand. And it's been such a long journey to get these cards in our hand to where, I mean, when I when I think about like when Gabe was on the podcast uh, several weeks ago and he mentioned that Gospel of Christ was kind of a something that God laid on his heart to show that the Bible is all about Jesus, God's Son. And that started coming to pass with the fall of man set, then it went into prophecies of Christ, and then lineage of Christ, and now gospel of Christ. And just knowing all of that journey and all of the work and, and things that the team of elders have put into it to put these cards in our hands, dude, it's awesome. And I think this set looks like loads of fun. I do think that it's going to change completely how games interact now. There's going to be a ton of interaction with the, I guess, resource manipulation, whether that's in the reserve or in the deck. I think there's going to be ways to manipulate that. And there's some really awesome abilities that we've got. The artwork on the cards look great. So I am five complete cards away from finishing the full set. I'm working on, you know, finding some trades for the remaining cards. One of those being um, I doubled up in my three boxes on his sacrifice, so I do not have authority of Christ. And then there's four other cards. So I mostly have have all of the cards here, and I've got them stacked. I've got them sleeved up in penny sleeves because that's what I'm doing with all of my cards just to keep them from getting too messed up thumbing through them and all. But first impressions, I am absolutely thrilled to have these cards in my hand and they look fantastic and like a ton of fun to start actually constructing some decks out of these cards. So Brad, you opened up your box um, and you've got, you've got your start towards your, your set. What is your first impression of the cards? Yeah. Uh, I'd say first impression is kind of like yours. I mean, these are just like, I mean, you're looking at the cards and um, even if you don't like the game, for whatever reason, you got to like the art, you know, uh, you know, playing with them. They look better and um, pretty pumped to start like looking through uh, just having one box. You know, it's still a little hard to tell like everything. Um, but from what I've seen, I like uh, what I see with some of the interaction. I will say like when they were posting spoilers on the spoiler page, I was always trying to keep up with what they were posting and stuff. And it seemed like every card was just like, like, I feel like every card in the set was going to have a draw ability or reserve ability or something like that. You know? And it just seemed like, oh man, like this, it feels like you're going to both, you and your opponent are going to run out of cards after like two turns, is what it felt like. And so I didn't really know if I was going to like the set, um, if it was going to be like that. But now that I've had a chance to actually look through all the cards kind of as a whole, um, I can see that that's, that's not necessarily going to be the case. And there's no way to really put all those cards in the same deck. You know, you got to, you, you, it's kind of like other sets and other things have been like, you're going to have a couple of those power cards, but you, you're not going to be able to get all of them, you know, at the same time. So uh, I, I think it will be balanced. And um, now um, it will be interesting. And I won't be able to do this. I'll have to steal from other people. Uh, but 
especially because of early church and and sets like that, I'm not as familiar with. But some combos from using this set and other cards from older sets is uh, is again not be not going to be something I'll be good at. But hopefully, I'll be able to steal a few things from other people. <laughs> yeah, you just got to watch Redemption with Jaden. He'll show you what to do. Yeah, and pretty you much. Just, you just pilot it up. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure he's like. If I had to guess, he was the one that made impartial judgment like the like meta relevant. I don't remember people playing it before he like really started getting it off and showing people that you could get like five, six, seven cards, wipe their hand out. But yeah, I think when he he played it in that online tournament with post exilics, but I think it was always going to be used, and I think he was just kind of one of the the first ones to kind of. I don't, I don't know. We have a small community, but the term that normally would be used here is he was the first one to, like, take it mainstream. But I guess he kind of took it live stream, maybe, you could say, because he put it on Redemption with Jaden, even though uh, it was it was recorded on the tournament and then posted later. But I think he started showing people how easy it is to get the numbers high enough to pull it off. And to do it before your opponent blocks. Yeah, and then awesome is- things – Allowing it to happen pre-block is crazy. I feel like whenever LOC came out, really, it took it took the community a while to get used to Meek as being like a staple in the offense. You know, you yeah. remember that? Yeah, I, mean, I, I think so too. And like, I I think when that first nationals happened, and that was the nationals that was really affected hard by COVID. They had to change the location and things of that nature. Um, I think definitely it took a little while for people to understand how it interacts. And I wouldn't say necessarily understand as much as like comprehend it as an ability, but actually trust that it was good. Yeah. And now you see like Josh winning the Lackey Grand Prix with a deck that's built primarily around Meek Protect, uh, Meek Protected Heroes and such. And I think it was, I think it was too easy without rotation to just grab some of the stronger heroes like Jehoshaphat, David Outcast Refuge, throw them with Ishmael, mm-hmm. that type of thing, um, and just go right back into, oh, it's thrown. It's just even better than it's ever been because you've got all these linchpin heroes that came out of LOC that replaced anything like that was kind of like you had to work it in to make it fit to where like that was just the natural reaction was to take it and make a theme that people knew and make it stronger, but now that rotations happen, and you've you've seen it, you even saw it last year without rotation before it happened, leading up to last nationals. But of course, that was that was kind of warped by love at first sight. But love at first sight benefited from Meek, from having the you know um, the ability to um, go with your David, search for your awesome things, and play um, creation. No, you, well, you use awesome things afterwards. You play creation off of hidden treasures. Uh, the stupid card, the card is named after love at first sight, duh. So you would play awesome things to do love at first sight before they got to block so that it all happened pre-block and they couldn't get dominant initiative. So, I mean, that was a staple of the love at first sight deck. And then I think coming off of that, people started to use it more and – Again, I don't think it's just understanding it. I think just realizing how strong of an ability it is. And it'll be interesting to see now that we've got more Meek Soul support, if things, if it, it kind of, Meek Souls kind of follow that same transition to where like people are using Meek Heroes. It took them a little while to come around. 
we had Meek Soul support come out in LOC, but it wasn't strong enough to make people play it per se. Yeah, and especially because there are so many good non-Meek Souls. Yeah. It, it's hard to... Because remember whenever Exiles and Remnant was a thing, uh, and it was like, how can you not play these cards? Like, you, you, have, to, you have to play Old Testament Souls. Like, you just have to. Uh, you got to play Hunter, you got to play Exiles, you got to play Remnant, and then uh, Distressed and some of these other ones. Um, and so I think that was one of the things that killed the Brown defense in LOC. Because I, all in all, the the Meek Protect Soul defense in LOC, I don't think it was bad. It, it could have been an, a lot better had people played it more. But it's just so hard to give up. The abilities on some of those souls. Yeah, and so. the design team did not make it easier with GOC souls, but there's a ton, a ton of benefit for playing meek souls now to where it's like, it'll be interesting to see if people go ahead and take that leap of faith and give it a try, or if they do, kind of like what Gabe posted on um, the deck that he shared earlier today. So we're recording this on Monday night. Um, earlier today, he posted a test deck that had all phase one cards or nothing from phase two, phase one. And he's using one meek soul to try to gain some of the benefit, but not going all in giving up because it's really hard to give up a soul like undesirables out of the new set. And if you guys have not seen undesirables, think morning weep turned into a soul. Yeah. It's really good. Uh, I don't see anybody not playing that soul pretty much. And also, um, one thing I did notice is there's not a whole lot of like meek soul unity like there was with like Solomon or somebody, you know, like where all your souls had to be meek. There was a few cards in LOC. I can't remember them all, but they required unity. Yeah, the dominant did too. Or even, yeah, like, like let, let astray. astray. Yeah. So, but so many people are playing meek now. And even in LOC, it started becoming the thing where it's like you didn't even want to play let astray because you might got, you know, Except for meek heroes, you can't withdraw them, you know. I don't know if that will become a thing or not. Yeah, I don't know. It, it'll be fun to kind of watch and see how the, the meek souls are, you know, taken in by the community overall and whether people start testing it out. I do think that seeing some of these test decks is going to help jumpstart some deck building for the community once they have cards in hand. I know we don't have the official lackey plug-in with – GOC cards, but there is a beta version available that the Jombie put out, I think. And so you can actually build some decks in Lackey, have the deck, and then once the official plugin gets updated, you can move that deck list over. Um, so there there is opportunity to start interacting with the cards, even if you don't have the cards in hand. But guys, when you get these cards in your hand, they look phenomenal. Let me ask you, Brad, do you... Do you have a favorite card from looking over the set? The abilities came out. You could look them up. They're on your turn games, three-line games, um, card images. You have cards in hand. Is there a favorite card that you have from the set? Okay, so I'm just going to go with a couple here. Um, just And to be honest, I, I haven't had a chance to really study the set in depth. I just haven't had time yet. Um, but I remember just like kind of opening and reading through um, a couple that really stood out to me were uh, Jairus and Jairus' daughter, mainly because I got a lot more gold, it seems like, than I did like purple or clay. And so I was kind of looking through them. 
but the Samaritans with uh, the woman at the well and Samaritan water drawer and things like that. But the fact that um, both those cards have a star ability to reserve the top card of a deck is pretty big. Um, and Jairus's daughter can go back onto your deck uh, in battle. Um, it says you may top deck this hero to toss the next evil enhancement, which is pretty incredible. It's, and it's a CBP um, ability. Uh, but um, if this hero is defeated, you can top deck her instead. So uh, you can top deck it either way. And then when you draw it next turn, you're reserving the top card of their deck again, along with any other reserve effects and stuff that you have. So I think one thing you said earlier with this set being, uh, you know, resource manipulation, whether it's from their deck or whether it's from their hand or territory or whatever, um, that's going to be big. And it seems like it's going to be a lot easier to do, uh, especially like you can kind of like the mill decks in a way. Uh, it's just a different uh, – it, it seems like the fact that you can do it with more stars and stuff, and even you can still run, like, delivered, discard the top card of their deck, you can reserve, you can have all these things along with the actual abilities. It's going to be pretty pretty strong if somebody were to, you know, gear their deck towards that. So that's one, and I'll give you one more uh, – or two more, actually, and I'll let you let you go with it. That's that's cool. Hey, we're all nerds here, and we're all excited. So yeah, whatever you want to talk about. So this one is one that really stuck out to me because it's kind of like um, what was the uh, the Daniel card that was white and silver? Daniel's prayer. It was the one that uh, protected uh, lost souls and faith unbowed. Yeah, faith unbowed. So this one's kind of like that. Um, uh, it's territory class. It doesn't have to be played on Daniel, though, or Daniel character, which is a lot better. But um, it's called I Am He. It's a 7-0 purple territory class enhancement. Uh, first off, you can look at a hand or reserve the star ability, which is always great. Um, those are the ones you want to have in your deck. I, I'm big on star abilities, by the way. Like I, I Sometimes I will put a card in my deck just for the star ability uh, over another card that might be even a little bit better. That's just me, though. Uh, but it, the actual ability, you can reveal a good dominant from hand to protect lost souls from evil cards, which is per, soul protection on the evil side is really big, if you haven't noticed with Pharisees and Sadducees, um, but and disciples from harm. So it's like you can go in with the souls protected and your disciples protected. You, you can just go in with a lone hero and then use a banding ability to overcome them or whatever, or transfiguration. And you don't have to worry about your hero dying, basically. Uh, so go in with Matthew the Publican. Go ahead and draw 15 cards or whatever it is. <laughs> and then he's protected. You ain't even got to worry about banding. And then you'll have what you need to be able to win the battle. And that card, I mean, it's a, I think it's a, it's a common. But this is probably, this has been one of my favorite, if not my favorite, offensive enhancement that I've seen. So... Uh, the last one I'll, I will point out, as I was just kind of looking through, is uh, Kingdoms of This World. Uh, each upkeep, you may play a lost soul from a deck to play an evil character from deck. So, from deck, so it's got to be your deck, which is fine. If opponent plays a dominant, you may underdeck a hero. So they come, if they're in battle and they angel the lord you and you have this down, you can underdeck their hero in battle. Like, that's incredible, you know, to get past that. That type of stuff. So, uh, a couple things I just noticed right off the bat that that I will try to be incorporating in my deck build. 
Yeah. Um, one of the enhancements that I really like is, and again, it's a common, which Chris, when he was um, on a couple of weeks ago, or a few weeks ago now, time's just flying by. But a few weeks ago, we talked about building um, your playgroup kind of from a small, humble beginning and what to invest into. And he was like, just get yourself some commons because you can build really strong decks out of commons and decks that engage new players and things. And the commons from GOC are absolutely bonkers. Like, if you could get your hands on those as some of the first product that you get, like, it's it's mind-blowing how strong they are. But I really like Amazing Faith. Now, this is a single brigade enhancement, so you don't have to worry about something like Goshen. I can't tell you how much it, it's nice that you don't have to worry about trying to get this around um, High Priest Ananias as... Our buddy John Early would say, ban Ananias. But Amazing Faith, it's a 7-0 gold enhancement. Has a star ability to play a lost soul from a deck. And we'll we'll talk about this in a minute because I've I've mentioned Undesirables a couple of times already. And we kind of had a talk right before we got on the podcast here about whether you would even block if you had a chance to give them that soul. Um, so we'll kind of talk about that in a minute. But Amazing Faith... Play a lost soul from a deck. So if you want to get your undesirables out quickly, it can be soul gen. So it's a good star ability overall. And then negate evil cards in battle. This is the ability. And then you may take a good dominant from deck. Cannot be negated. So if they have a band of heroes that is not cannot be interrupted, cannot be negated, you can play this card, negate that, and then go and grab a dominant potentially like an angel of the Lord to take out a lone evil character if you can negate a band, um, undo some things. But the fact that it negates evil cards in battle, so not just an enhancement, but the characters as well. And then at that point, it's ongoing, negate evil cards in battle. So as more cards get played, they should be prevented at that point. You may take a good dominant from deck, and then you go and get a strong card from your deck, and then cannot be negated. And, of course, the cannot be negated is going to... The cannot be negated is going to open this up to the cross and Colosseum. I'm really not that worried about that because this now becomes, if they have the Colosseum out or the cross, this can now kill foreign wives because you can toss it and it's a 7-0 enhancement. I mean, it's a so it's a good card no matter how you shake it. And the fact that it's just a common, not to mention my buddy from the Old Testament that I like to play with, Noah, can use this card. It's fantastic. Um, it works really well. It could work really well with post-exilix, giving them a, a boost. Not that they really necessarily need a speed boost, but being able to go and grab a dominant off of a negate, another CBN negate that doesn't require Meek at this point. Um, you know, like by my spirit requires uh, a meat character or whatnot. It's a really strong card and it's just a common and I absolutely like it. So I like that one. And you mentioned Matthew, the publican. And I mean, I guess we've got to talk about him, right? I thought Thomas, the twin was kind of, kind of bonkers when they first shared him. And then Matthew the publican was spoiled 
And I didn't talk about it too much because I wanted to see like what the whole set was entire in its entirety or phase one, at least before worrying about whether the power level on one card is too much. But Matthew, the publican looks like a fun card and I'm already partial to Matthew, the publican for very vain reasons is have you watched the chosen? Um, I watched season one and probably half of season two. Okay. For some reason, I'm gravitated towards Matthew in, in The Chosen. Like his story about, you know, like being, making a decision for himself and then being outcast from the rest of his fellow people, um, kinsmen or what, what have you. So he's kind of an outcast, but Jesus, you know, is sharing. I don't know how far you got into season two, but he's kind of, you know, pulling him to the side and doing things with Matthew so that Matthew's writing his record for what would become his gospel. When I was in in school for uh, a little bit of like theology type type things and studying the gospels, Matthew was, the way that he wrote his gospels, you could tell he wrote it to try to prove to the Jewish community that Jesus was the promised Messiah. That's why there's all these callbacks to see this scripture, he fulfilled it. See this one, he fulfilled it. And it's like trying to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. And I think in the show, it kind of, in the chosen, it, it not to go on a tangent here, which obviously I already am, but like I think he really, he's a good actor, the guy that plays Matthew. And you can kind of see that role developing, which is going to show that he, need, he needed to show, um, first of all, he doesn't feel like he's necessarily worthy or whatnot, but then... You, the way that he wrote his gospel and the way that it, it came out is kind of trying to prove to other people, see, it is the, the true Messiah and whatnot. And so I just really have an affinity for his character in the show. Um, so I really like that. So I'm excited to play with it. And it's really cool that it's got a strong ability. Is it too strong? I don't know. You may convert this card to meek or reveal a good dominant from hand. If you do, you may reveal opponent's hand, draw X, cannot be interrupted. Now, it's not regardless of protectability. So if you have hand protection, you know what I mean? Like, it's you got to work around that. But with this card, I don't know that I'll ever not play Humble Soul again. Humble Soul is, is almost a staple because it's a modifier. You can't negate it. It comes in clutch so much. You were talking about Philistines and how strong they are. Well, if you have humble down and you're you're not being prevented in the battle phase, then everything that's cannot be interrupted, humble makes it CBN basically because it can't be prevented by your opponent based on card advantage in hand. And this guy, if you get him off with humble, making sure that he's cannot be prevented, they can't stop it afterwards. And if you can draw up to um, I think there's seven evil brigades. Is that right? And there's nine good. So that's 16. You could draw hand limit with this guy. So you could come in with zero cards in hand and potentially draw 16. That's absolutely bonkers. Do you remember any hand protection in the set offhand? I am not sure. I do know that you have Crowd's Lost Soul, which is a New Testament Lost Soul that you could play with New Testament Soul Unity. But... I don't know about directly from the set. Yeah, I was about to say, I think 
crowds is probably going to be one. But the the thing is, with all these forts and stuff that are coming with GOC, plus all the other forts you have, I mean, how many people are actually going to find a spot for a storehouse or something? You know, it's it's I don't know. It might be mandatory based on all the reserve power that gold has and some of that stuff. But um, I don't know. Uh, it, it seems like if you if you get Matthew in battle, I mean, you're you're pretty much gonna at least see their hand, and then who knows how many you'll draw. <laughs> yeah, I I mean I can't with it being good and evil brigades, so because it's and just no brigades. <laughs> I honestly don't see any way you don't draw at least five there, even if they're playing like mono brigades, just because of how many like enhancements have multiple brigades on them. Even if you're playing like a solo. Good and good brigade for your heroes and a solo evil brigade for your evil characters. The enhancements are not always going to be as fortunate to have solo brigades, which kind of poses a question too. I would assume that people like Matthew, if they were in their hand, would count for two brigades since it's purple. Or could you only see one? I think it counts. It counts as two because it's a dual icon card. I would think so. so it sees too. both icons. And same thing for like Judas. You know, he, even though he's a good character and an evil character, you would think that would be two brigades as well. Not two brigades because or, on yeah, the three on yeah. the evil side, he's crimson and orange, which is so, cool. Yeah, so, Judas is actually. I get it. I get that they. He's such an important piece to the puzzle that they had to make him with something that would that would be at least playable. Like I mean I I think. But they they built him to a way to like I want him in my deck more times than not, I think, when I look at every time I look at him, I'm like, as a hero, he's really good because I'm able to take things from their deck or their hand or whatever it is. He like takes an artifact from your opponent. Territory class, yeah. Yeah. Territory class hero. And then draws two when you go into battle. And then, as an evil character, he restricts dominance. So you can't play your, your dominance. And then bans to a demon. So restrict and ban to, like... Um, red Dragon. Yeah, Red Dragon. King of Tyrus is not going to be quite as good No, now. because of the <laughs> he's protected from OT. But yeah. restrict so. dominance and then Red Dragon. Restrict dominance and then Serpent. Restrict dominance... And there's a plethora of, of demons that are going to be coming out in is phase serpent two. Serpent, a demon? It's got it's got orange. It might not be listed as a demon, but it's got orange on it. So I think it's listed as animal and not demon. Yeah. So even though we kind of know that, like scratch that, it should be demon. Okay, so after after double checking, the serpent is not a demon. So I misspoke. But should be, maybe, possibly. I mean, it's got a Genesis 3-1 reference, which is a reference to Lucifer, right? I mean, it was the tempter. Yeah, or was it just a vessel of temptation? Now you're trying to talk theology. Oh, I can talk some theology, man. Don't get don't get Jay started up in here. I mean, it was a pretty powerful prophecy about crushing the know skull of the serpent you know and that type of thing so you, you, you kind of gotta that was kind of fulfilled with the resurrection so i mean all right so as we look at these cards those are a couple of cards that we each like I, i'm telling you that 
I think in the grand scheme of things, I think Matthew the Publican and Thomas the Twin are kind of a signaling that if you look at the playtest decks, have you looked? Have you looked at each one that they've posted? Not in. De- I like barely just kind of glanced okay. over them. Well, if you look at them, most of them have like five good enhancements. Do you remember when people were running like eight, nine heroes, and then they were running like twelve good enhancements, or, or it seemed like it was yeah, just bonkers. I, I think I still do that. <laughs> okay, but like, I think you're starting to see that you're getting less consistency out of your enhancements. And more of your consistency is coming from your hero abilities. So I think that's kind of why Matthew and Thomas the Twin are built the way that they are is because they generate you value so that you're not having to use enhancements necessarily. Like it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to build a deck without Solomon's Dream after doing it for the past two years. But if you're running Disciples... There's no reason to play Solomon's Dream when you got Thomas the Twin. Well, and you can't play it on any of the new disciples. Right, you would have to force it. You would have to you would have to force splash it. Yeah. By like adding a different hero, throwing your boy Noah in, who's yeah. rainbow, which goes in every deck, just to play territory class enhancements. Um, but you don't have to do that if you're playing them because Thomas the Twin has a strong ability on its own. So I I think you're just seeing a lot more of the consistency and value engines for the newer themes are coming from hero abilities and even evil character abilities versus a lot of like setup enhancements. Yeah, which I kind of like too. Uh, It really plays into more of strategy as opposed to luck, if you will. Uh, like, for instance, a, a lot of the evil characters, they do. I mean, you really don't even need to run up probably a whole lot of evil enhancements in your deck because you're able to grab – a lot of the evil characters grab from reserve. And so I think one of the things we've seen on the Discord from, like, Tyler or uh, Gabe or whoever um, is they've been playing a lot of defense in their – like, reserves are for defense, you know, is what it seems like. And then your deck is more like – you know, your offense, your forts, and all that stuff. And um, I guess, like, you know, having the right enhancements in reserve uh, would probably be a good thing. Um, There was one character I'll point out uh, that would actually go against the card that I said earlier. I was just looking through this. But the Expert Lawyer, which is one of the spoiled ones a while back, you know, evil New Testament enhancements used by this are regardless of protect. So that's, that's a pretty big deal. Um, but if blocking, you can play a meat gloss soul from deck to take a New Testament gray enhancement from discard well, discard pile. I thought I said reserve, but either way, you know you're able to you're able to grab what you need uh, from a lot of these cards, which is which is pretty cool. All right, so I said that we would talk about it in a minute. Yep, I've got the card in my hand. My buddy Jonathan Gomez, um, who I've you know been hyping up the set with talking about and whatnot. I, I told him that, dude, it seems like someone was thinking about you when they made this set because there's so many things for that meal theme that he likes to do, that Exodus thing. And it seems like that really got a big boost with this set. And I told him about, I guess he hadn't seen it before um, or, or realized that it was in the set, but I told him about uh, undesirables and the fact that it was morning wheat turned into a soul. 
which I think was a good way to balance out the ability because there is plenty of opportunity to negate it. You can son of God it. Um, you have your negate neutrals and things of that nature. So it's not guaranteed that it goes off, but you basically have to then decide, are you going to give up a soul or fight to not or to get the block and chance this sitting on the board longer in order to potentially give them opportunity to negate it. And so I asked you before we started recording, uh, shortly after you got here tonight, and if if it's turn one of the game, this comes out early on. So or you have your um, – it's a scape soul that goes and gets a New Testament soul, and you put this in play. And they make their rescue attempt on the first turn. Do you give up the soul or do you go for the block? And then, like, the way that I posed the question earlier was, say they've drawn two, you know your foreign wives is an auto block. Do you block and get the sure block or do you give up the soul? I personally think you give up the soul because not only is foreign wives, yes, it's an auto block for the most part, but we know that there's ways to get around it, especially in this set. There's a couple of ways to get around it. Uh, Plague of Frogs, I think, still gets around it. Um, you have the ability to toss some enhancements to get over it. But it's also the fact that when you have protection and you go in and she's CBN protected, you then give them initiative to play like a Solomon's Dream for a potential draw three plus the search. Um, so you you create a chance for them to get extra resources and then next say you get the block then next battle they're coming in and generating more resources so if you give up the soul here first turn without blocking yeah they got the value from coming in drawing and things of that nature maybe searching off their heroes but next turn they don't get to do any of that to generate resources and i think that allows it to be kind of a a, something that you think about so what do you think you do, Brad, in that situation? Because I think I'm giving up the soul. If it's first turn and I can guarantee that they're going to skip their next battle phase, I think I'm giving it up every time. I mean, I just – I think especially because uh, if they go first and I get my draw three, um, you know, my first turn and all that, I mean, I think I'm giving it up and just like collecting resources to be able to block. Because not only do they not get to attack their next turn, but – now you have all these resources in your hand. You're ready for whenever. Hopefully you've built a good enough defense <laughs> that, that you'll be able to block. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. I do think, I do think also it's the, it's the fact that if you let it sit on the board, they're going to find a way to negate it or they're going to get to their son of God and burn it. If they're opening eight, you see that down. Let me ask you this. If you're rescuing and the opponent has it in their territory or their land of bondage, first turn, do you make a rescue attempt? Yeah. Or do you try to get to your son of God on your on your first or second turn and you just you swing and skip the next battle phase? I could I couldn't not rescue it, if, if that's what you're asking. Like, no, I, I would have to rescue it. Um because So you'd it, rather get that first rescue without you having your draw three instead of skipping that one and then trying to get it next turn for me personally yeah because again you're not guaranteed that you'll still have a way around it especially since you went first you're only drawing three and just depending on what kind of draw power you have 
Um, but essentially what you're saying is, well, I'm skipping my battle phase for the first turn. Even though, yeah, you can go in and get a few resources, maybe draw. But, yeah, I mean, I'm not the type of player. If I see if, if I have a chance to rescue a soul, I'm rescuing it. Yeah, no, I'm not yeah. saying that I would okay. I would not rescue. I'm just well, asking. I'm posing the I'm playing devil's advocate here. And if we're gonna look at it from one side of it, like if if they're coming in to rescue it from you, how would you respond? And then I think you've got to flip the coin over and look at at least look at the design on the backside and see that if they have it in their territory, what are you doing? It does it it at least makes you think about it a little bit, whether or not you have a way to go and negate it. Now Hopefully I'm playing something that can easily negate it, like, you know, coming in with a Zerubbabel that can go and turn himself to Meek and play a Keem that's going to negate neutral cards and then go ahead and rescue that bad boy. But not every deck is going to have something that can do that in the battle phase. So you're going to have to either have the resources in your hand or a way to get to the resources in order to negate it before. Because if you swing in and you make a rescue attempt, and you think that you would just give that soul away, they're probably thinking the same thing, and they're just going to give it to you, and then you skip your next battle phase. And the same thing about how you, on the other side of that, would generate resources and make it hard for them to rescue afterwards on their third turn at that point because you gave this to them on their first turn. They're skipping their second battle phase, the third one. Now you're faced with that same uphill battle. So, I mean, it's it. At least something that you have to think about how you would work around it. Yeah. So thought of a few a few things as you were talking. Um, first off, I, I, I almost want to change my mind on just giving up the soul for a second. I would have to see what all cards are in the set because if if I don't feel, feel like there's a good way for them to negate that soul, I probably do come into battle if I can draw cards off my evil character, knowing that if I give up the soul, I don't care because I was going to give it up anyway. And if I can generate resources on my defense or uh, start taking out some of their territory. Maybe I have characters that, that disrupt their territory somehow. Brood of vipers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I may do that. And then if they get the soul, good. If they don't, then they didn't get it, and, and I'm great. But I will say, I feel like moves like that, I almost would have to learn from some of the, the better players. Because I'll give you a for instance uh, in this Lackey Grand Prix. So when I played Jaden on the uh, first game, I came in with Music Leader. And he blocked me, I think, with two ball cane. And I, I'm pretty sure I had enhancements in my hand to maybe win the battle. But music leader's not a very good I think I had maybe a Royal Parade or something, but I just I didn't know what he had in his hand. He may have had some negates or something. I went ahead and just said, Angel of the Lord, I want to get this soul. And 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 got rid of him. And I didn't know if he had Christian Martyr or anything like that, but I like I'm getting rid of this evil character. A better player probably would have held on to the Angel of the Lord knowing that I had still enhancements in my hand that I could play. Now, Josh, when I played him, see, that was my that was probably a bad mistake on my part, playing Angel Lord there, so I'll say that. But Josh, uh, I came in with uh, the Lion Prophet first turn, and he had a Meek Akeem, and he had no idea what was in my hand. And I should, I, first of all, I should have played different. But he, I knew he had Angel of the Lord, because I looked at his hand, obviously, and um, he didn't know it was in my hand, and I had eight cards. There's a good chance I probably have something to play, right? But he said no. Like, he was thinking about it in the game. He said, I wonder if I should play Angel of the Lord right now and just get the soul, even though I didn't have any enhancements. And he didn't, and he ended up winning the battle without it. And I was like, man, that's 
such a veteran move. Because if, if I was on the other side of this, I just would have aimed to the Lord, my guy, and made sure I got the soul instead of getting rid of my Akeem somehow and maybe not being able to get him back and not getting a soul that turn. Yeah, that is that is fair. I also think it's kind of just one of those, how, how much of a risk taker are you? Because if you're swinging with your music leader who you never attack with, then you didn't have a great draw. If you're swinging with a Mika Keem, you did <laughs> not have a good draw. So it's really just a matter of how much you want to risk what you did get in your setup versus kind of the potential outcome. So how much of, of it do you think really hurt him long-term by not – because it could have backfired on him. You could have had an enhancement. Yeah, I've, So if I would have, that would have, sw- that would have swung a lot of the game. So I really do think you know? that, yeah, it's a, a veteran move. And, and the, the better players in the game, and Josh is definitely one of the better players in the game, it's really cool to watch them and how they like the nuances of decision-making in the game. Uh, I like to call it the game within the game. Like everybody's trying to get to five souls and you're trying to – hinder your opponent from getting to five souls in type one type type two is seven souls but whatever format you're doing you're trying to hinder your opponent from getting to their win condition and getting to yours and seeing some of the you know savvy veteran players and watching them play like looking over you know John Early's shoulder while he's while he's playing a pickup game with with somebody or something like that just the way that like they think about the game you've seen Jay and Jeremy play each other and you can just see the way that like their minds moving faster than the cards are moving. And I think when new players start playing the game and even players that are, you know, intermediate, which is where I would I would consider myself as intermediate. I guess you're starting to move up a little bit. Second place in the Lackey Grand Prix. I would say still intermediate. Um, <laughs> but like you're do you feel like over the course of us playing though, that now you're starting to like your mind's moving almost as fast as the cards are. Maybe you're thinking about the move that's coming before it happens now a little bit more than like when we used to play. When we used to stay up till like four a.m. playing every Wednesday night and just like game after game, the same couple of decks, just not really tweaking things in between. Just you know, two out of three, three out of five, whatever it was, just hours upon hours of playing. It seemed like things were happening, and we were trying to catch up to them as they're happening. Yeah, And now it's like, okay, I'm thinking about the fact that he has not used his angel of the Lord. Now do I need to come in with a lone evil character or do I need to try to find a way to band? Yeah. That type of thing. I would say the thing I've learned the most, because both of, both of us have this similar style, uh, it's, it's hard to break, is I got to get three as fast as I can, whatever it takes. That's the mentality, I think, of most new players. But when you play somebody like Jaden – or, like, Jay's really good at it. Jeremy's really good at it. Josh and some of these guys are really good at it. Like, um, like I remember in some of my first uh, couple games uh, at Alabama at the Chambers house, like, playing Jay with his Flood deck. His deck is really good. Um, he's really good about setting up fast, so that's what Flood does. But to use a new beginning at the right time, you know, to play, like, I remember I went up against him, like, I was, up, I was ahead, like, three to one. Um, and he he had new beginning into soldier out. Yeah, he had he had new beginning into soldier out, but he came all the way back, you know, from three one or whatever, um, and just like it was it was uh, an incredible like come from you know come from behind like I I had everything I needed you know to jump ahead and win, but uh, it was like man I can't believe that and that's happened to me on Lackey, 
And, um, you know, I will say, like, with Jaden, Jaden's definitely got the, be- the better of me more of the times than I have of him. And what I, But it always seems it's the same way, though. Like, I can jump out to such a great start. And I, yeah. I can never be comfortable in a game because I know that until I get that fifth soul, I have not won this game. I don't care what the board looks like. I don't care what's in my hand. I don't care how the game is gone. Until I get that fifth soul, I'm not going to be comfortable. But I got to get better at that long game. And I think I have been maybe just here recently learning the the end. Like, even if you're behind, even if things didn't go your way and you can't get set up like you want, you can still play your way back. There's a way to do it. And the best players, the people at the, at the top of the game, know how to do that. And so I think with this, going back to the undesirable soul, whether you make the decision, I think there may be some veteran players that say, no, nah, I'm not going to rescue it. <laughs> you know, maybe. Especially if they're not uh, gaining resources going into battle. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe everybody rescues it. And I'm just crazy. But, um, you know, I don't know. Um, that's why I said, like, I'll have to learn. Like, right now, yeah, I'm getting it every time. But if I start seeing some of the, the top-notch players get it or not get it, and I see their reasoning why, maybe I hold back. Yeah. I think when you talk about, like, racing out to three, how many times have we played, you and me, and, like, I'll get I'll get aggravated there at the end. I'm like, well, I would have time out one because we ended up playing, playing it out and it would have – you know, in a casual game, it's past time. But like, I'll race out and I'll have this big lead on you. Like the online yeah. tournament, the one t- online tournament we both played in, um, I was up on you like three zero, and you ended up coming back and beating me five four. Yeah, if you remember that, and I was like, dude, because the way that I I did, and it's exactly what you said, just racing out, burning all of my bridges and burning everything to get to those three souls as fast as possible to put the pressure on you. And it works out great if you're playing a a also intermediate or lower level player because usually if you get to that third soul, you've got them on tilt to where every time you draw, they're like, you get your son of God, you get them, you get them. And I'm almost like that. Once somebody's got three souls on me, I'm just waiting for them to drop the free ones. Um, but top players, they – they don't care if it takes them five turns to get to three as long as they're winning the the tempo battle, meaning that they're going their own pace to get to five before the opponent. You know, if you go first, you rescue that soul, you've got a significant advantage now, especially if you get a block here and now you're basically one turn ahead. And things and I think they're really good at playing that again, that game within the game. And I think you could really tell it in your matchup with Josh to uh, go back to that when you played second coming to go to three woes. Yeah. Um, and that was a, a spot you thought was critical in the game, and it was. But at, as soon as you used your second coming to not get a soul, it increased the hill that you were going to have to climb because it puts you a turn further away uh, from winning that, that you know, battle or uh, race to five, but it's not a race in the sense that you've got to get there as fast as possible. You just got to get there before your opponent. Yeah. That's, that's it. You got to get there before the opponent. And sometimes you get there before the opponent by gathering your resources to play defense versus playing offense. And that's something that I know I have to get better at. And um, so it's definitely something, and I don't know how undesirables really shakes out. I just feel like it's not really an effective soul past turn one because there's so many ways to negate it 
Yeah. So it's like if you're going to play it in your deck, and I don't know why you wouldn't play it in your deck, then do you give it up first turn? And I tell you what, this comes out, and this is the thing. Now with it being completely randomized to where you roll a dice, if this soul comes out on the board on my side and I win the dice roll, you better believe you're going first. That's what I was just about to you say. You better believe, homie, you're going first because I am not. I am, And if I see it on your side... I, I don't know what I decide if I don't have one and I see it on your side. Like, so it, it, it puts a lot of thought no matter, yeah. like, I don't know how, how the thinking falls at the end of it, but you're definitely going to be thinking about it as you make those decisions in the early part of the game. That's probably going to that, be the most crucial decision is like who goes first. If you don't have a way around it, you know, you see their undesirables come out and you're like, Oh, man, if I win, do I go first? Do I not? Against Josh in the Lackey Grand Prix, you actually chose him to go first. I did. And do you think that affected the outcome of the game? So, funny enough, I I chose Jaden and Josh. I I won both dice rolls, and I I got both of them to go first. It worked once and didn't work the second time. Yeah, and – Because he dropped all of those counters down like that. Just like boom. So, so I I have have learned, and I've – I will say I probably learned it most from Jaden is the, the the ability to be able to slow play a game and still come back and, and be confident that you can win. Uh, to not, you know, not feel like you're at such a disadvantage uh, going second necessarily. Um, but I do want to correct the record right here too uh, with one thing because this just shows the, the level above where I'm at still. Uh, with somebody like Jay, for instance, I'll give Jay. I'm gonna give Jay a shout out, okay? Because this this is really impressive. But I feel like I had a pretty good deck against him. Uh, this was that three one game that he came back on me on. But he used his second coming at three uh, one to go and get a new beginning, okay? And I thought I was like, I cannot believe. And I thought I had the game won. I was like, I cannot and this believe. Is, this is back when falling away was in the meta. Yes. Yes. Um. I was like, what an idiot. He just used second coming to go and get a dominant that's in his deck. And then and then it it worked out like in his favor. And he completely like he like I was I was on tilt at three one the rest <laughs> of the game, if that's possible. You were like, on tilt being I, up three one. Yes, I was on tilt and he I mean and yeah, he came all the way back and won. And, and that really like So what what did you think when he used second coming? What did you think? <laughs> I thought he was an idiot. Okay, <laughs> I'll say that in my mind. I was what like, I cannot idiot. believe he was second coming. But it was, and the, then it bit you in the backside. It was the perfect move at the perfect time, and he, but he knew that. Yeah, and and Jay he was thinking Jay, through that. Jay already. is really good, and that's what I'm saying. Like he's moving faster than the card, so it took you a while to catch up to his thought process. Yeah, but he made the absolute right play in that that spot, and the guys that are on, at the top of the game right now. Dude, it's it's really remarkable to watch them play and see them make some of those decisions and just knowing that, like, they understand the game so well that it's second nature to them how to play. Plus, I think it's also – I'm going to say something that I'll go on record, and if you're a competitive person like myself, it aggravates you to no end to lose. Yeah. Like, I built Gabe's deck – his because of Moses' deck that he posted. And Gabe, love you, man. But I sucked with that thing. I lost to Jeremy 5-0. 
I, it was terrible. And then I lost to Brad 5-1. The other game, I completely dominated. And, like, I didn't even have to use dominance to win souls. I won 5-2 and ended with, like, five dominance. In, or, well, I had six dominance in my final hand before I dropped the two free ones. Like, I didn't have to use the dominance to win. Like, the deck performed phenomenally, but that wasn't against top-level competition. Uh, against what I would consider the better competition it played, I got outpaced 10 to 1. And I know that's 100% piloting issues. Um, and also the fact that I built it five minutes before we played. I just pulled up the picture and I started building it. And I had no idea how it worked. I hadn't done any test hands with it. Literally, I built it and played it. And learned on the fly. And that is not the way to play a deck. You have to know how a deck operates. Or you're setting yourself up for that. But I almost feel like as a as a player that's newer to the game, and I would still say we're 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 in that part. Like we've been here for a few years now, but we've definitely not done our share of games like a Jay, a John Early, even Jeremy, that type of player. Yeah, like first time I ever beat Jeremy was like a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> like, yeah, like in in three years, I've beat I've beat him. The first time, five, I've, three weeks ago. I've beat him twice. I beat him at the Royal Rangers demo when he was showing me what he thought was going to be a Nationals-level you know, competitive deck. Tyler thought that was the deck that was possibly going to win. But Tyler says that about a lot of decks because it really does come down to how the meta shakes out and how it's piloted and things. There's a lot of decks, and that's that's kind of what Tyler means when he says this, this deck could win Nationals. It doesn't mean that it's the best deck. But it means with the right pilot and with the right metagame call, this deck could be it. Um, but they were talking about Jeremy's. It was like a throne warrior build. And I had my King Noah. And my King Noah beat Jeremy. And I think I beat him like five to two, five to one. Like whatever it was, like I I smoked him because he had a bad opening hand and I just rolled and I hit him pre-block AOCP. Uh, dude, it, it was it was awesome. And then I beat him at Tennessee State this past year with the combo deck. But those are my only two against him. But the point is, when it comes to, it's almost like you've got to play enough games and lose enough games to where losing, again, from a competitive standpoint, this is going to sound backwards, but you got to get to a point to where losing doesn't bother you. To where you play, you lose, you get frustrated, and then you like scrap decks completely. Or you don't learn anything from the loss. You've got to get to where losing is part of the process of being a good player or building a good deck. You've got to be able to lose that and then compartmentalize the loss with what worked, what didn't, go back to the drawing board and tweak things. And I think sometimes as a competitive player, it's just like, ah, you know, like with that deck that I built that was Gabe's, I could have gotten, I mean, I did get frustrated. And I was like, man, this deck sucks and all that. And I know it's 100% the pilot, 100% the pilot. But at the same point, like, I could get frustrated with that or I could try to, you know, figure out what didn't work and then kind of analyze that. And I know the majority of the reason it didn't work was because I built it five minutes before we played. (laughs) So, ergo, do not build your deck five minutes before you play. Do not build your deck the night before a category at Nationals, right, John Early? You know what I mean? So I th- I think you got to get to where losing allows you to gain insight. Like you lost to Josh in the Grand Prix. Do you think you're better suited to play Josh again? Because you kind of learned some 
some tendencies and things of that nature. Oh yeah. So in a law in in a loss you have the chance to grow as a player. And I think some people just get so hung up on losing and I've I've been in that boat to where you're frustrated, you're like, Man, I hate the game. I'm never gonna play again. I mean, I don't know that I've ever said I'm not gonna play again. I know I've said I've never I'm never gonna play that deck again. And then you know a couple weeks later I'll pick it up and be like, Oh, it's not so bad. And it's all just results based, but you got to learn to, in a bad result, find the, you know, the positive and the thing that you can grow from. Um, and I don't know how we got on that from talking about GOC cards. We started talking <laughs> about this undesirable soul, and then we kind of just <laughs> pigeonholed our way into talking strategy and things. John's going to get mad because he's going to be like, hey, that's what my podcast is about. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, bud. But anyway, so undesirables is completely going to make you think. Like, I mean – I don't know what else it's gonna do, but it's gonna make you think, buddy. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't know how you play that out, but it just seems to me if you get that in your opening eight, it's never going to be as valuable as it is to you right then, as it is right then, because they've got to answer it. And if you let it sit on the board and you don't give it to them, they get a chance to get the answer for that card. Okay, here's another scenario to think about. Okay, so they win the battle. You're about to hand a soul. You play Harvest Time. You go get the soul. You give it to them. <laughs> That's awesome. That is pretty cool, especially if you have a way to, like, generate some kind of, like, benefit or whatnot. Because, I mean, if they don't have something that's currently negating souls, I mean, it's like, all right, thanks for – all right, glad you won. And you can have – I mean, obviously with Harvest Time, you're setting up yourself to rescue next turn anyway. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, you just go and grab it and get it to them. They have to skip their face. I'd be so mad. <laughs> I'd be so mad if I won the soul and I'm like, all right, give me your whatever's out there. And then uh, they go and get undesirables and hand it to me. Oh, man. I definitely like undesirables, though. I just, in application, it's a complete toss up. Until it happens to you, right? Yeah. Like, I <laughs> That's mean, the same way. <laughs> it's just, it's going to absolutely make you think. And then I don't know what you do after you start thinking. I don't know what the decision, the best decision is. So, well, I said I'm just gonna learn from. I'm gonna play. You gonna some watch Jaden and see I, what he does. I'm, I'm gonna watch Redemption with Jaden, and I'm gonna figure out how he gets around it, and then I'll, that's how I'll play it. Realistically, not to toot his horn too much because everybody's already already tooting it a lot. But do you? How much better of a player do you think you've gotten over the last year or so watching Redemption with Jaden? Oh, I've. And I'm not just saying this just to be the same, but, I mean, Redemption with Jaden has increased my level of play dramatically because I I, I think about that. Like, you know, obviously we even have two different play styles, I would say. Like, and that's fine. I think we can all have a little bit different play style, and you probably need to stick true to that for the most part. But, yeah, just the, the way he, you know, obviously explains and thinks about things, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, I would have never saw it that way or thought about it that way. And, um, yeah, it, it, I've increased dramatically just watching the videos, to be honest. Yeah, I think he's a tremendous resource for the community. Um, so if he, if he didn't have those videos, and maybe he'll get upset about this, maybe a little bit. If he didn't have those videos, I probably would never beat him, like ever. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but uh, the fact that he's putting those videos out, not only am I growing, but I, I you learn his play style really well. So yeah, you, like you turn, know two, it, turn two, you get ready for impartial judgment. Yeah. It's so, coming, folks. It, it doesn't matter. He could be playing silver, 
he's going to find a way to impartial you. So um, I guess before we wrap it up, so you've got cards in hand. I know you said you got more. Um, you said you got more purple, or no? I'm sorry, more gold than you did yeah. purple or clay. I think. But well, it, it may be about. Well, yeah. Okay. Without without worrying about your limitations, though, as, as far as like what you have in hand for cards, what do you think is the first like deck that you're you're most excited to try to build? I think the first deck I will build will probably be a gold and uh, a gold offense with a. Silver defense for the Pharisee. If I had to guess, a gray defense. Yeah, gray. They're not angels. Gray. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> gray. Yeah, I think I'm. I think I am leaning towards disciples. Not necessarily because I think overall they're they're the best. I don't know if they are. They definitely look like they're going to be the easiest to put together. It looks like almost a lot of the decisions are made for you. The mm-hmm. way that the, the the design team made the disciple theme. But see, I feel the way. I feel that way about gold. I, I, cause I, in, there's so much, I feel like strategy that's going to be going towards the meek and the clay and, and with how cards interact between the, the purple and the disciples and the clay and, uh, and the meek. And I just, I can't wrap my mind around. I have to see somebody play it, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I, the reason I want to do that is I think it's going to be the most popular theme. Mm-hmm. And so I think even if I don't long-term stick with it, I think you need to know how that operates, and I think that's valuable information to gain early. So when you see someone playing Disciples, you kind of know what the trick is that they're trying to pull off and whatnot. Obviously, we know they're trying to use powerful enhancements, generate all this card advantage with Thomas the Twin, Matthew the Publican, all of that. But then if you understand exactly how it's working, and then you can start developing like counter strategies to it and whatnot. So I'm doing it more. I, I want to build that more for learning purposes of learning how to play against it just as much as playing it. So that's what I'm looking forward to building. Um, I definitely do need to go ahead and get the other ultra rare. I doubled up on his sacrifice. So I need authority of Christ. And then I guess one last question I'll ask you, I've got the full set of legacy rares right here. And legacy rares are cards that are pre rotation and they are brought into rotation by getting a facelift and put on the new card format and, given a, you know, a good artistic, you know, facelift. What do you think the best legacy rare is from the Gospel of Christ legacy rares? Um, I know there's a few of them that look really good. There are a few that look really good. Um, the one that sticks out to me the most just off first glance is Romans Destroy Jerusalem. Uh, because You're copying me because I said that at the tournament this weekend. Eh, I mean... I don't remember exactly what you said, but... Um, that card just... I mean, the way that it was brought into uh, the new format, like, just the artwork, like, it looks like a solid card that... It's very appealing to look at. Well, yeah, not only is it... I, I mean, I'm going to find... I'm going to try to find a way to play this. It's kind of like the old um, Wrath of Satan. You remember how it just, like, discards all heroes? Yeah. And so you have to protect your somehow... Or, you know, I don't know how you would do this, but, you know, maybe, you know, you bounce a lot of your characters on your turn somehow at the end. Or or maybe you have a bouncing enhancement, you know, so you bounce all your characters first. You still get initiative. You're able to play this, CBN, to uh, get rid of all their heroes if they don't have protection. But I don't know. Uh, that one's pretty interesting. And, of course, uh, like Grapes. Um 
I don't know how many people will be able to find a spot for grapes with the new dominance and stuff. You got like Voice from Heaven or whatever else. It, it's going to be hard, but yeah, uh, that's probably, if, if I had to pick one, that's probably, that might be the one I actually end up playing. Yeah. I will say too that the Gates of Hell looks really good. I like it not being on the foil. I wasn't a big fan of the foil cards. I mean, I, I didn't like them for a couple of reasons. They were the old style card, which, you know, I I definitely did not find appealing um, from an artistic look, having the ability over the artwork. Um, but also the fact that, like, I didn't think, like, it, it made the artwork kind of pop or anything with that foil. And then the cards would always, like, curl or bend. I think Gates of Hell looks really good, the way that it was kind of brought back to life. And... It really focuses on the artwork now without having the ability over it. So I really like that one. But, I mean, all of them look really good. Yeah. I mean, the fact that the artwork is the same, but then you see all the colors pop and just the the vibrant uh, life that it gives the artwork versus the old counterparts that was printed kind of. I think it was the printer that uh, Rob was using. But, like, they were all printing kind of dark, uh, dull colors and whatnot. Uh, in addition to, I know that Gabe and, and whoever else is doing artwork is kind of, you know, touching up the artwork to make the colors kind of contrast and pop a little bit more. Um, but it's definitely translating into the print work as well. So um, I guess we'll go ahead and wrap up this episode. This has been just a couple of guys from Alabama rambling. <laughs> we went with no outline tonight. It kind of snuck up on us. I was planning to record something at the tournament this past weekend, and I didn't get to do that. Um, but hopefully you guys enjoyed hearing us talk about these new cards and it makes you want to go ahead and open your boxes, your packs, order some, you know, invest into the game because that's, what's going to keep the game here long-term is investing into it. And this is a beautiful set to be investing into. And it looks like tons of fun to get started building decks out of. So maybe in the, in the near future, we'll, we'll have, you know, not just first initial impressions of having the cards in our hand. But maybe after playing a couple of pickup games or whatever, uh, test games, I know that they're obviously not legal right now, but we're going to start at some point building building decks out of them. So maybe we'll we'll be able to talk about that a little bit more intelligently. So we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Anything you want to say in closing, Brad? Yeah, uh, get out there and start finding some uh, strategies and combos in GOC because it's wide open and uh, I'll steal them from you. So. Yeah, he already said he can't come up with his own, so he needs you to do the work for him. That's right. Help me out. But but definitely, uh, anybody that's getting discouraged, by the way, with the game, getting frustrated because you're not having success with it, like I said earlier, and I was kind of preaching to the choir, you got to play enough to where losing doesn't bother you so much because in the end, you know, you're playing to gain knowledge and information on how to make decks better and become a better player. So get out there, play games, play against people you don't normally play against, to kind of broaden your horizon and see what other play styles and decks, deck types there are. Um, and then just don't beat yourself up if you lose. I mean, I got I got smoked 10 to 1 against quality competition with a deck that a quality deck builder built, and I'm here to talk about it the next week. So, okay, I'm going to stop rambling. Just, just get out there and play games, all right? Sign up for the Lackey Grand Prix. We'll talk to you next week. Peace. Peace. All right, that's going to do it for another episode of The Threshing Floor. want to thank you guys for tuning in and giving it a listen. 
listening to a couple of buddies just rambling about you know their experience and their excitement for the new set want to thank brad for coming on and talking about you know the new set and specifically about his experience with the lackey grand prix want to give a special shout out to jay chambers for running the lackey grand prix and for all the participants it was a a successful thing in my mind and i'm looking forward to the next one make sure you sign up and participate in that and we'll talk to you next week peace